the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a smartphone or some type of a Bible device, if you can um, just take that out, and we're, we're going to go from one, Psalm 139. Uh, and today, we're, my goal and my intention is to go from um, verse 13 to 18. Um, but after speaking for the past few weeks, this is the first time I've ever really like done like a certain section on the psalm. And, um, and I find that it's really difficult for me to like speak on like six verses, right? Like six or seven verses, uh, because I get to like two verses and, and like I, I just totally get lost. So I'm going to read the whole thing. And if I don't get through the whole thing, it's fine. Um, just, just read it for yourself um, throughout the week. Uh, but we, we've been introducing this idea of hide-and-go-seek, and, and, and hide-and-go-seek um, is, is just really talking about who you are in light of who God is, and you understanding God and God understanding you. And the main focus of everything that we've been sharing is, is about the omnipresence and the omniscience of God, right? So God is everywhere. He knows everything. Like, he, he's, he's in everything. We serve this really big, awesome, huge God. No one can hide from him. No one can escape him. Um, he, he is powerful. He is mighty. And this is what we come to know of, of him. And it's that God knows you. He knows you. He made you. Uh, he knows you down to the core. He has searched you. He has found you. Uh, you can't hide from him, and he loves you just as you are. Um, and this is the revelation that, and we, we talked about that God is searching you out, and he's searching you out because he's trying to find weak places to show himself strong, right? And, and so, and if you didn't get to hear those messages, those messages are online at drivingyour.org. You can just uh, go there, and there's a little player there that can help you to catch up. But we talked about God is looking for places in your life that he wants to show up to prove himself strong, He's not looking for your strengths so that he can applaud you, right? He's looking for places where he can prove to you that he is the God of your life. And so he's searching out weaknesses and he says, ah, I found a weakness. And here's what I'm going to do. The places where you fall short, I am going to come into that place and I'm going to become your weakness and I'm going to conquer your weakness and I'm going to be your strength. That's why he searches you out, right? So, so that's the omnipresence, the omniscience of God that he knows you, he searches, he finds you. And then we talk about the manifest presence of God and that the omniscience of, of, of God, the omnipresence of God becomes the manifest presence of God and that all that God is becomes a person in Christ. And that is the manifest presence of God. And we talked about the Holy Spirit becoming the manifest presence of God. And so in the omnipresence, the main idea there is that God knows you. You can't hide from him, he knows you. But the manifest presence is about you coming to know God. Now it's like, I want you to know me, and I want you to encounter me, and I want you to actually come to know me. So the omnipresence, God knows you. The manifest presence, you also get to know him. And that's why Jesus comes. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, so you can come to know God. So, so, so that it's not just about God knowing you, watching you, seeing you, loving you, but that he also creates a plan, and he encounters you, and he comes to you so that his I love you, you can return it with an I love you too because you see him for who he really is. So it's the omnipresence of God, and then the manifest presence of God brings us into relationship with God, and that is the idea of hide and go seek. God is hidden, um, the, and, and you ought to search him out and find him, but he makes it really easy because he shows up in the form of a person. Um, and, and it's a really simple process. So let's pray. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, your power. We thank you for your strength, and we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, I, I, I thank you that today uh, folks in this room will find restoration and will find redemption. 
Father, I ask for a, a, a sweetness of your presence that redemption and restoration would be found in this room today. That for those in this room who are needing to be restored would be restored. And for those in this room who are needing to be redeemed, that they would be redeemed. So we just ask for your goodness and we ask for your presence. Lord, we ask for a manifestation of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm, Psalm 139, uh, verse 13 to 18. Um, I'm, I'm just going to read through the whole thing so that you guys can say that I actually did what I was supposed to do, and then we'll move forward. Um, so Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully rough in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet they were not none of them. So he fashioned days for you before they even came about. And verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts of me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, God, you, you, you formed me and my in, inward parts. And, and, and one of the things I find to, to be really awesome about this, and we talked about David, how, how David is the one who writes this psalm, and David comes to the conclusion about who God is. So this psalm is, is about a man who is after God's own heart, and this is his conclusions about God. This is what he finds out about who God is, and he brings it to this psalm, and he's singing it out to God. These are songs, these are poems, um, and this is a man who's after God's own heart, and this is his final conclusion and his, and his revelation about who God is. He says, you formed me, and, and that word formed is, 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 is not just like a, a formation. It means that God, God owns you, that, that he possesses you. So it, it's, it's not that he, it, the, the word, like God did form you, but, but the actual word that um, David uses here is, is one that you owned me. Like you, you, possess, you, you, you possess my inward parts. Like you possess my inward parts. And the, in, the, the word for inward parts is, it literally means kidneys. I thought that was crazy too, right? Like kidneys. Like you possess my kidneys. Like that is poetic. If you're married, you have, you have a wife, tell her like, from, from the bottom of my kidneys, you know, like, like you, my, 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 my inward parts and my inward parts is kidneys. And I started to think about and process this. I'm like, kidneys, like, I don't know. And, and, and I'm searching through, so I'm like, why kidneys? It just doesn't make sense for kidneys, but it's in, inward parts is, is kidneys, but it's also like the seat of your emotions, right? And so you think about when, when someone gets like, um, completely afraid and they wet themselves, like it comes from their, their kidney, right? Like, like their kidneys weak, weaken. Or like if you go on a roller coaster and you feel that thing in your stomach, like your stomach drops when you're coming down, that, those are your kidneys, right? And it's like your emotions are somehow, some way wrapped into your kidneys so that when you're afraid, like some people, like their kidneys like squeeze with fear and then they urinate. You guys know that, right? That's that's a strange concept. I don't understand it. I don't know if David knew it, but David says, like, like my my kidney, the seat of my emotions. And and when when the scripture talks about your inward part, it talks about the seat of your emotions. That is the way that you feel, the way that you are, like the seat of everything that makes you who you are. um, And it's your affection. And, And 
I, I, I came into the office today and um, I was thinking through this and um, it is the way that God made you. It is who you are, right? The seat of your emotion, your affection, like the things that you feel, the, the place of your decision, God owns them, God possesses them. Um, and those are your inward parts. Your, your inward parts is everything that you are. And it is the way that God made you to be. And um, how many of you ever heard pe- people talk about, like, God just made me this way? Like, like, God, this is the way that God made me. Like, I am this way because God, like, okay, so like when you yell at someone and you pop off and you go crazy and they're like, you should probably go to counseling. You're like, no, God made me this way, right? Um, <laughs> like, like, that's the only time we come to that kind of a conclusion. So I pulled up some, some um, somewhat of a street poem here from the, the gospel of one who I think you all may know of. Her name is Lady Gaga. And she has a song called Born This Way, right? Some of you may have listened to this song on your way to church this morning. But the song Born This Way, Lady Gaga says, it doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M, just put your paws up because you were born this way, baby. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far Listen when I say, I'm beautiful in my way, because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself, and you're set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. I got introduced to this song. I have some friends who, um, who, who have a lot of um, issues with the church. You know, um, I, I, I have a lot of friends who, who, who are in the, the LGBT community, and um, a, a, lot of, a lot of young people love this song because it's a song of liberation. It's, it's a song of liberation for many young people because it just says, be who you are. Like, if you feel like this, just be that. Don't listen to what anyone says. That's how God made you. That's who, who, who you are. And I've spoken to so many of them, like, and they have Lady Gaga poster on their walls. I'm like, why do you celebrate Lady Gaga? Because she says, I, she just liberates me. She's like my pastor almost, right? She's like my medicine. She just says I could be this way. And she tells me that I, that I, God just made, I, I am who I am. And, and there's, there's a, not to attack a person here, but there's a hint there has to be a hint of truth in any kind of lie in order for you to believe it. There has to be a hint of truth in it. Any kind of deception has to come with a little hint of truth, right? So um, I worked for 10 years as a police officer, and anytime I sat in a room where I was interviewing anyone and they were, they were going to lie to me, you couldn't just tell me, like, left field lie. You had to incorporate some little bit of truth. Right? You have to say like, yeah, yeah, I was there. I did see this. And then you're going to lie about like little pieces of it that's going to steer you in the wrong direction. But you can't just lie all together because if you lie all together, we're going to know that it's a lie. So you have to incorporate little pieces of truth. I'm teaching you how to lie here. You got to incorporate little pieces of truth in the lies that you're telling. If you're just telling bold lies, no one's going to believe it and everyone's going to know your lie. There's a little bit of truth in every little piece of lie. And, and, and so, something that I find that we have captured, and I've talked about um, hitting certain pins on the head when it comes to our culture. The idea of I was born this way is one that is very popular. I've heard many Christians state it, and I've sat with many people who are undergoing certain things, and one of the things they're, they're quick to tell me is, is, my mom was this way, my dad was this way, baby, I was just born this way, that is who I am, and Lady Gaga says to embrace it, and that's what I'm going to do. 
And some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's, what I, that's, what, that's what I decided to do with my life. That is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It might be therapeutic. It might be real, but it's not true. And there's a difference between real and true. I could tell you some things about me that are real, and you wouldn't believe that they're true, <laughs> but they're not the truth. The difference here is that God, God made me this way is a, is, is, is a cultural idea, and, and it's true to some extent. But the truth that I want to hit on today is that the first thing that happened is that God made you as he is. God made you as he is. Genesis 1.26 Genesis 1.26 is the account of creation. The account of creation is a beautiful one because God has a certain pattern every time that he goes through the account of creation, and we're not going to go through the whole thing. But every time God gets ready to create something, he speaks to the thing that he's going to create from, and he speaks to it, and he tells it to bring forth the thing that he's about to create. So he speaks to the earth, and he says, earth, bring forth land creatures. He speaks to the water, he says, water, bring forth sea creatures. So he speaks to the place where the things come from and, and he speaks to them and it brings forth the thing that he wants it to bring about. Then in verse um, 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. This is where God speaks to himself and he says, me bring forth you. And in the same kind of way, you are made as he is. So if I could just stab one lie in the heart today before we go, you, it's not that God made you your way. God made you his way. He made you as he is. Now, some of you are saying, but I'm not like he is. And we're going to get to that. But the first truth to embrace here is that God made you as he is. He says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image he created him, male and female, he created them. So man and woman, you were created in the image of God. And God made you like he is. So here's our hide-and-go-seek idea for today. There are parts of you that found their beginnings in God. Right? There are parts of you that found their beginnings in God. And the rest of you, or the truth of you, is hidden, and they can only be found in him. So the only way that you will find you is in God. The only way that you will come to the truth is not to embrace who you are, but it's in, to embrace who he is, because he made you as he is. So you've got you to wake up a little bit, because I'm going to do some word stuff here today that I think I don't want to confuse you. So God, God forms your inward parts. God, God made you the, the way you are. Your inward parts are your emotions, the way that you process stuff, like the fact that you get angry when you get angry, the fact that you lose your temper when you lose your temper, the fact that you're attracted to who you're attracted to, you love the way you love, the type of people you enjoy being around, the colors that you like, the foods that you like, the things you don't enjoy, the things you do enjoy, all of that substance, God made you as he is. There's something that happens throughout that, that process, and there's, there's something innate that's inside of us. Innately, God made you as he is. But it, the, everyone understands the idea that we're, we're born into sin. We're born into a realm where sin comes in contact with the image of God in us. So this is, let's look at this like a science experiment, if you would, right? If you take one chemical that is pure and that is real, that is the God factor in you, 
and that is something real. Like God actually made you this way. This is the God factor in you. When it comes in contact with your neighbor, the chemical reaction that happens in there, it changes the factors a little bit and it produces something different. But that innate substance in you is the God factor. So as you go throughout life, you encounter the way that your parents raised you, you encounter the bullies, you encounter the bad relationships, you encounter the divorce, you, you encounter the, all the things that you encounter are also encountering this God factor. And this is the way that you have become. It's not the way that God made you. It's the way we've become. There's a big difference in the way that we've become and the way that we are. God made you as he is, and you have become how you are. You got to write it down. It's okay to write it down. (laughs) No, truly, God, he, he, he made you as he is. This is the core of who you are. Whenever we pray for you and whenever we prophesy over you and, and whenever we encourage you, that's why we don't really speak too much about where you are because we don't care about where you are. Everybody knows where you are. The thing that I want to point to in you is the place in you that God created in the image of himself. Because if, if I could grasp that string in the tapestry and pull it forth so that you can actually see the beginnings in you that looks more like God, it will overshadow what you have become. God made you as he is and you have become how you are. All right. All right. So the innate parts of you are the ones that are unaffected by a sinful nature and God possessed. God, those are the places in you that God possessed. And all of you was a part of God before you became apart from God. So sin came into the picture and then we were separated from God. But all of you, it's, it's a part of God. You are a part of who he is. You are, he spoke to himself and you came forward. And that is his idea for creation. Now, think about this, like we've been talking about for the past few weeks. This is an awesome God. This is the God who created all things. He is everywhere. He is all love. He is all power. He know, like this is, this is a God who his desires are pure. He is holy and he speaks to himself and he makes you just like him. Or some people say a chip off the old block. You look like your daddy. You got your daddy's nose. You got your, you got your daddy's smile. You may not have his temperament, but, but, but you have your daddy's heart. David goes on, and he says, you covered me in my mother's womb. And, and some of your Bibles may say, you knitted me together. Or, or th- so the idea here is God made you the way that you are, the way that he is. He made you this way. And then he fashioned skin over it. So, so beneath, and I, I asked the question a few series ago, what makes you who you are? Like, what about you makes you you? How much of you do I have to delete before you're no longer you? Right, you guys, you guys remember we, we talked about that? So like, if I, cut off your, if I cut off all your limbs, are you still you? Yes? Yes? No? All right. So then if we do a brain tra- transplant for someone else's brain, are you still you? If there's a heart transplant, at what point do you stop being you? Is it when you lose your brain and your heart? If I put your heart and brain in someone else's body, do you become that person or are you still you? If I leave the heart and take the brain, if I take the brain and leave the heart, if I leave all the limbs and just like two limbs and a brain, at what point do you stop being you? What makes you who you are? This is the stuff that God created. This is, this is what we mean when we talk about your spirit. That God made you, there, there's something in you 
that God made. Science can put limbs together, put a heart in a person, put a brain in it and shock it and it can never get life. They, they can scientifically make up all the pieces of a person and they cannot give it life because they cannot create a spirit. They could take from life to contribute to other life, but they can't make life in and of itself because God is the one who creates you and this is your spirit and then he encases it with flesh. So in your mother's womb, he knitted or he covered you with flesh. And so when you look in the mirror, (laughs) when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, it's okay. It's okay if you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror. Because what you're seeing is just what God covered you with. The Bible talks about there will be a day when the veil is lifted and all this uncovering is going to be uncovered and the true you is going to be revealed. And so he covered you with flesh, but the flesh is not you. There's something deeper. There's something more profound that makes you who you are. I, I, I asked the question last week about how sometimes we say, like, you just don't understand me. You just don't know me. Like, like yeah, someone, like, you, you just don't get me. There's stuff that's deep inside of you that makes you who you are that goes way beyond your flesh. And if your flesh is getting in the way, the goal is, how do I find me? Like, like, how do I find who I am? Because at some point, we become a product of all of our circumstances. So I talked about my growing up, right? Like, my growing up, like, I become a product of that. But somewhere inside of me, there's a me that, that is just, that's pure. There's a me that looks more like God. And that's the me, that's the me that the gospel is about. That's the me. This is why in the resurrection, the flesh stuff just goes away because there's a me in there that God is trying to put his finger on. And that's what David is talking about. David said, you covered me in my mother's womb. And he took all of who you were and he encased it in flesh. And this is why your body is made to be the temple of the Lord. Because God made you as he is and then he cased it with flesh. And then he says, your flesh is now temple because it's holding God. The temple is the place where God resides. So there's something in you that is made in the very image, in the very likeness, the substance of God. And God made it, he fashioned it, and he says, this needs a temple because it is holy. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to knit skin over it. I'm going to put a flesh over this holy thing that looks like me. And Paul says, your body is now a temple because, because the God factor in you is now encased in flesh. But the temple the temple is not the thing. And we talk about the church is not, this is just a building. This is just a building that contains the substance of what you, you matter in the building. That's why if the building starts to burn, no one stays in here to save it. Those exit signs, you run out of here. No one's like, let's put this fire out and save these walls. Let's save the floors. Let's save these floors. No one is, it's like the building is the building. It's what's in the building that makes the church what it is. So if there's a fire in the building, escape. And you leave and let this building burn because the temple is just made to hold you. But there's a you inside the temple. That's why Paul says, your body is the temple of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Did you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. And here's what happens when we encounter truth. Psalm 139, uh, verse 14, he says, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what happens when you come encounter with, when, when, 
So this is all information, right? So I'm just telling you information. Some of you are like, oh, this sounds really good. It's really poetic and, 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 and it sounds really nice. When you encounter this kind of truth for real, when you realize that the God of the universe who has all power, who is all love, took a piece of him and actually he didn't put a piece of him in you. He took a piece of him and made it you. And then he wrapped it up into flesh. When you step back from that, David says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one response when you come to that kind of revelation that the spirit of the living God is not just something he's trying to influence you. You are, you are the thing that you think God is trying to influence. And when you realize that and you step back and you look in the mirror, David says only one conclusion, one conclusion you come with. I will praise you because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. That's, that's, that's the place where praise comes from. Praise doesn't come from looking at God from afar and beholding him. Praise comes from a place of personal experience when you realize the him who you're telling me to behold has beheld me and, and I've become a part of him. Like, this is why you fall in love with, 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 with people who are like you. David says, I want to praise you because there's something in me that just reflects you. Like, you, you thought through this whole thing so well. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am amazing. I am awesome. I don't care what people have said about you. I don't care what you have done and where you've been. There's something about you that looks like the living God that every single person in this room was standing up and worshiping. And, and everyone loves him. And everyone is trying to seek him. Lady Gaga has, has, has put words to a song for people who are looking for this kind of love, looking for this kind of revelation, looking, they're, they're seeking a place where they can realize there's something about me that I just know is really good. And Lady Gaga has called it out. But, but, but God says, that's, if you think that's awesome what Lady Gaga is saying, there's, there's more than that. Because she's talking about what you've become. She's saying embrace what you've become. I'm saying embrace what you were made to be because who you've become is just a resource. But there's a source. There's a source of the thing that you were made from. And I'm saying when you dig down to the last ingredient, like if you get down to the source and you realize how amazing you are, it'll make you stand up off your feet and shout and speak in all different kinds of language. It'll make you fall out and hit your head on this concrete and not go to the hospital. It'll make you jump in this pool and say, I've got to get baptized and come encounter with this living God. It'll make you do all kinds of crazy. When you come face to face, listen guys, listen, 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 let me, let me tell you my, I encountered God in I didn't believe that I didn't, for those of you who are new here, I didn't believe all this stuff about eight years ago. I was one of those, if, if someone told me this, like, yeah, like I've read way too many books. I'm a little bit too intelligent to believe in your fairy tales. And it took some time, but there was a day when this information became an encounter and a revelation. When you come face to face with the reality that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is why you only like to be around people that make you feel good. Because there's something in you that recognizes that you are worth it. And you just want to be around people that recognize it. You don't want to be around people that treat you like trash because you know you aren't trash. But there, there's something in you that knows that you're fearfully and want, there's something in you that knows that you're made to be amazing. My Superman shirt. When, when it's, not, it's not why I wore it, but some people make comments on it today, right? So let me share this, right? Um, one speaker explained it like this. He says, when you're a child and you're playing superheroes, you know, my, my, my kids do that. If you meet my son, he'll be like Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right? Like, 
Like, when I come home, he doesn't even say hi. He's just like, Ninja Turtles. You know what I mean? It's like, Daddy, Ninja Turtles. You know? And I'm like, Daddy, Superman. You know? But at no point, and, and then my other son, he doesn't really know what's going on. He just comes out, Ninja Turtles. You know? But he just, but, but my son, but there, there's something in us, there's something in you, this one speaker shared, that from the point that you're a child, no, my son never comes out and says, like, I'm the garbage man. He never comes out and says, like, I'm the janitor. Like, there's something in him that clings to the point that Superman is amazing. Superman is super. There's something about him that I identify with. You ide- all your children identify with greatness. Cinderella. She's beautiful. She's uh, Cinderella. I'm the witch. No one's the witch. No one's the witch. Everyone is Cinderella. Everyone is the, the amazing Batman. Like children have this innate thing where they know that they're fearfully and wonderfully made and they identify with things that, are, that they believe to be wonderful. But somewhere down the line, somewhere down the line, you started to believe some of the people, perhaps who are even sitting at tables with you today, Some of you started to believe some of your family members when they tell you, you can't do that because you ain't smart enough. You can't, you, you, you can't become that. You, you got C's and D's. There's no way you're going to become that. Oh, you think you're amazing? You, you've gained way too much weight in the past year. There's no way that you can, and they crush your dreams, kill who you are. And this is what our secular world has said, ah, just embrace it. Just embrace who you are. But I feel like the Lord wants you to know today, that's not who you are. And the truth of who you are can be begotten when you let go off of that idea and there's restoration. There's restoration of, of be, being childlike. Children just know that they're amazing. I don't have to tell my kid that he's amazing. He knows he's amazing. That's why he, he, he sits at his table, apple juice. Why? Because I'm amazing more because he recognizes that he is a, he he's he knows he's royalty i didn't tell him that but as a parent I, shame on me i talk him out of that I, i talk him out of we talk our children out of these places there's just little there's just little crazy things that we do sometimes as parents that I just think we don't even recognize it, but, but we start to devalue the things. Like, like uh, the other day we made um, uh, spaghetti and meatballs and the kids are eating and they're just having a great time. Why am I crying? They're, they're, they're just having a great time. The spaghettis and sp- spaghetti. And at some point, I as a father who stands before you saying all these wonderfully, I as a father decided that the paint on the wall is more important than the, than the joy in their hearts. I decided, shut down that joy and save my paint. And it sounds funny and it sounds silly, but, and, and, and I know you can't just let them do whatever they want to do, but I just think that somewhere in there, I have said, save my paint, kill your joy. And I think enough of that He, he goes from Ninja Turtles to like, like, like Master Sensei, the Shredder. He steps back a little for those of you who never watched the cartoons. It's just like bad guys, right? Because like, ah, I'm, I'm just the guy who drives the garbage truck that they ride in. We just have to step back and further back because paint is more important than me. The floors are more important than me. 
Like I, I failed. Like, and we, certain things just get interpreted to us. And the only thing I want to share with you today is that's not what we're called to embrace. That's, that's the place that Jesus comes to heal. That's the, that's the thing that Jesus comes to restore. He comes to restore the greatness that is in you that you have forgotten. That people have talked you out of. There's some wonderful counselors in your life who have talked you out of believing that you are absolutely amazing. And some of you have those people in your life. Like, I, I, I know some, like, there, there's some women in this, in this room who other people tell you, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, and you refuse to accept it. Because enough people have convinced you, enough circumstances has convinced you that you're not. And so you no longer em- em- embrace it. <laughs> so you do ugly things because you believe you're an ugly person. And I'm saying don't embrace it. I'm saying that there, there's, there's something innate that is in you. That God made you as he is and you have become how you are. Jesus comes to take how you have become how you are and restore it to how God made you to be as he is. This is why he say this is how you become children of God. This is how you become sons of God. This is how you become people of the kingdom. There's a restoration. Your royalty is restored. Your awareness of the fact that you are, you are sons and daughters of a king. I used to tell my wife that. She's like, how are we going to, do you know who my daddy is? I used to always tell her. My, my, my daddy owns everything. There's something that we just miss, I think, sometimes. And Jesus comes to restore that. Just look at someone at your table and tell them, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just tell them, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's this restoration. Listen, there are, tell them, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Tell them, tell them. You would tell them, you would tell them if they had a booger hanging out their nose. You'll be quick to tell them. Just tell them, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's some type of restoration, I believe. There's something absolutely amazing because you communicate this to each other. You're the ones that communicate this to each other. People have communicated to you that you're less than what God has made you to be. All right. Then at the end of verse 14, say again. You feel good. This is, listen, man. This is, right? You feel good. You didn't have to go to a club. There's no cover charge. You didn't even have a drink yet, right? This is, this is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> Guys, listen. David ends verse 14, and he says, and that my soul knows very well. He says, he says, that my soul knows very well, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want to ask today, does your soul know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Like deep inside of you, when you review your actions, when you review your, the way that, do you truly know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Or do you just believe that you are the son and the daughter of whoever your parents are? Here's a question. Do you identify more with your last name than with his name? Like, what do you identify with more? Because his name is your name. He gave you his name. And then he gave you parents, and then they gave you their name. But there's a source and a resource. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. 
except that no one can find out the work of God. So, so the better translation for this is God has put eternity in their hearts without which they cannot find out. Without the eternity that's in your heart, you can never find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You will never know. Without eternity being in your heart, there's no way that you can connect to the power, to the strength, to the majesty, to the greatness of God. This is why God puts eternity in your heart. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. All things you were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shined into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I'm going to jump down to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And here it is, verse 12 and 13. I want you to highlight this or, or jot it down or whatever you're doing over there. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Those who reckon, if you recognize that you were born, not of flesh and blood, you, you, weren't, you weren't born of the will of the flesh. You weren't born because of the will of your flesh. You, you weren't born because of the will of men. It's not what people said. It's not what you said. It's not even your family name. It says, this is salvation. When you realize that you were born of God. When, when you realize that the source of who you are comes from who God is, and here's the connection. We become born again when we realize that our lives are now current state ruined. <laughs> Listen to this piece for a second because I, 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 I wanted to make a, a little bit of sense to you. God made you as he is, and somewhere down the line, our lives were ruined. And, and there's some people in this room who recognize that their lives are ruined because something happens. Like something, ha- how many people have ever heard someone say that? Or maybe you said, my life is ruined. Like my life is in ruins because there's something that happens that brings you to the revelation that your life is in absolute ruins. But there's some of you who haven't undergone this type of thing, but your life is still in ruins. Your life is in ruins because of everything that we just talked about. The source of who you are, the greatness of who you are is in ruins. And it's, and it's for those of us who our lives are in ruin that Jesus comes to make dead men alive. He comes to take your ruins and he comes to restore them. But it comes at the cost of recognizing that your life is in ruins. And all I want to say today is don't embrace the ruins. And this is where the tension comes in. The tension comes in because when I say don't embrace the ruins, it means that at some point, you, 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 you can't be as comfortable with brokenness. How, how many of you have quoted that passage, to love what God loves and hate what God hates? How many of you have heard that passage? Of, like, like, I just want to love what he loves and hate what he hates. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. And we often connect that with poverty and injustice and sin but he, here's, here's the thing that's a little bit uncomfortable, I think, for us. But it's a necessary leap to get to where you need to be. You have to hate the thing that he hates, even if that thing is in you. And that's hard. You have to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And if what he hates 
is brokenness and ruins, and that thing is in you, that is the only thing that leads you to the cross. That's the only thing that leads you to repentance. Because you, you see God's goodness, and you see God's kindness, and you see the ruins, and you see the brokenness, and it just leads you to repentance and recovery. The kindness of God leads men to repentance. It's, it, all right. Last verse. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6 to 13. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed and passing away. So Paul says, this is, this is, this is what I'm doing today. What I'm doing today, giving you wisdom, it's not wisdom of this age. It is not wisdom of Lady Gaga. It is not wisdom of the White House. It is not wisdom of your therapist. It is not wisdom of great psychotherapy. It is not wisdom of, of, of teen magazine. It, it, is not, it is not the wisdom of everything that the culture sets up for you to dictate and direct your life. The rulers of this age who are doomed and passing away. It's not, this isn't pop psychology. So, so Paul says, I'm giving you wisdom, but it's not the same wisdom that all the systems have set up. Verse seven, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. It is the wisdom of who you are that was hidden and in secret, but it was created before you were made. Paul says, I'm giving you secrets about you that is not just embrace who you are. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you clues about how God made you to be absolutely amazing. God made you to look like him. I'm not giving you the wisdom of this age that tells you how you are. I'm giving you the wisdom of this age that tells you how he is, and that's who you are. And he says, this is the truth. Before the beginning, before, um, before anything ever was, I'm giving you that kind of truth. Verse 8, and he says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, right? And I'm jumping on, and he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man convinced what God has prepared for those who love him. And then verse 10, he says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except for the Spirit of a man which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. And here's my point in, in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might understand the gifts God has bestowed on us. There is no way that all the information that I just shared with you is ever going to make any sense apart from the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that comes and takes this information and makes it revelation. And until this information becomes revelation, it is just going to be stale and dead and forgotten. You may be excited about it right now, but when you walk out of this room, your life will never match up to the truth that was just shared with you without the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that comes and makes every, the truth of who you are, gives it impact and makes it real. And this is why we need the Spirit of God. Before I was a Christian, I, I, I listened to Christian messages. I listened to pastors speak because I wanted to gain some ammunition from my Christian friends. Right? I wanted to have some tools to be able to argue with them with. And I knew all the stuff. I knew the blood of Jesus saved, the death of the God, all the facts, all the stuff. People told me that all the time. I used, to, I used to go on college campuses, and they used to be those folks who would come and tell me about God. And, and I, I knew it all. He died on the cross for your sins. Whatever. I get it. 
I, I had all the information, but I still wasn't saved. I had all the information, but I, still, but I still lived according to how I was and not how he is. I had all that information, and my life was still in absolute ruins. Because information doesn't save you. Information doesn't save you. Beware of the hashtag. Be, beware of the hashtag. Beware of just clicking the like button on something that resounds truth to you, that is just information, and believe in that because you have accepted information that you are now connected to it. It is the Spirit of God that comes and makes truth, not just known to you, but known to you, that He makes it real to you. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaves. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.